The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. UFC 297 is in the books. There's still a lot to digest from Saturday night in Toronto, mostly with the main event. Drickus Duplessis, the new middleweight champion of the world after defeating Sean Strickland via split decision. Incredibly close fight. Fascinating watch. But all of the talk post-event seems to be about the scorecards. So let's talk to somebody in the know about all of those things and more. She is the great Laura Sanko. Laura, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to kick this year off with a little bit of a judging. I'm not going to call it controversy, but I love a good judging discussion. It's kind of my jam. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, before we get there, first pay-per-view in the books of 2024. And this is a wild ride. UFC 297. There were ups, there were downs, loud cheering, loud booing, questions about rules, fighters thinking they won during the announcement of the winner. And then- We got to see their hearts break when they found out they didn't win. We have two new champions crowned controversy. This one had it all, Laura Sanko, did it not? It did. It was a, it was an emotional cornucopia, if you will. There was, there was a little bit of everything. What, if you like controversy, you had some, if you like the ups, the downs, like you said, it, it had it all for sure. It was kind of, um, it was a good card overall, um, but in some ways you kind of come away going, that was a slightly, it was good. It was a little weird as as a night, just because of all of the little things that happened that didn't necessarily, I don't know, they didn't have necessarily huge repercussions, some of the things that happened on the prelims, but they kind of were enough to make you go, huh, I'm not sure how that happened, or huh, I'm not sure why that happened. Yeah, we're seeing 10-7 rounds scored. We're seeing that actually I was a big fan of. We can talk about that. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with that. I was surprised only one judge gave Jazz and Jazz a 10-7 when mm-hmm. A lot of people at home had a 10-7, but we'll certainly get there. 
Let's start with the main event, DDP versus Strickland. Again, fascinating and compelling fight. The way these two built this up, the press conference, someone's going to lose their life in the cage. going to be a bloody war. We're going to go. And honestly, we didn't get that per se, but this was one of the closest fights I can remember watching since yeah. maybe Volkanovski versus Holloway 2 in Abu Dhabi. I remember coming yeah. out of there being like, Volk won, but I don't know if he won. Like, it was yeah. so close. And every time I've gone back and rewatched it, it is one of the closest fights I've ever watched. And, you know, we'll get to the cards and the scoring in a minute. But as someone like yourself who is trained, who is fod, who has a keen eye for the technique and everything, you do color commentary. What did you think of the main event from a fight perspective, a technique perspective? Yeah, a fight perspective, a technique perspective. As I was watching as a fan, I remember thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not judging this fight. Yeah, I went back and judged it after the fact, but that's always a million times easier than judging it in, in real time. I, I thought it was an incredibly close fight, and I was impressed by a couple of things from both fighters. I was surprised by a couple of things from both fighters. You know, I think in terms of Dricus Duplessis, I didn't get a chance to do my normal preview show with Dean because I got trapped in Colorado I saw uh, that. in an insane snowstorm. I was actually supposed to be in Toronto and it kept me from making it to the ESPN desk. Um, so I very much was sitting at home with a massive case of FOMO, but um, I would have been one of those people that would have favored uh, Sean Strickland a longer fight. And so I was really impressed to see Dricus Duplessis go out there and showcase what an incredible gas tank he really does have and an ability to have a tank in later rounds and, and manage it over a longer fight. Because, I mean, the evidence was there that he had struggled with that in the past. And the evidence was there that he didn't have much or any experience going in, you know, for a fifth round, certainly not at a championship context. So I think it's a fair assessment, but he certainly proved people like myself uh, to be wrong. So I was excited to see that because that just makes him an even more complete fighter, right? To be able to, to speak of in the future. And those are the more interesting matchups to me at the championship level. And then, you know, for Sean Strickland, I think his defense is such a, uh, is such a linchpin of his game. Um, but there are times where it, it almost becomes a detriment to his ability to really put his foot on the gas, kind of like in the cannoneer fight. And I talked about this with with Dean Thomas. He he and I did a a recap video. It's not up yet, but it'll be up on my YouTube page tomorrow. So I'm blatantly stealing this from Dean. Um, but what his comment was, which really kind of blew my mind, he's he, what he said was, he said, you know, Sean Strickland reminds me of a Jorge Masvidal, like a guy who just likes to fight, and he knows in those moments he's getting the better of the guy because he's landing his jab or whatever. Like he's getting the better of him. And he doesn't really give a lot of like credence to scoring criteria and all this stuff that wouldn't really affect a real fight, right? So I don't know. I think sometimes, or at least Dean said that he feels like Sean goes out there and just really enjoys being in the fight and doesn't necessarily think about win, win, win all the time. I don't know that I don't know if that's fair or not, but I thought it was a really interesting uh, assessment from a you know, a veteran coach. So I take it, you know, with, with some credence there. And I, there is something when you watch Sean fight like that, where you're just like, I just want 10% more, you know, it was like Eric said, I think it was after the fourth round. I didn't like that round, you know, or maybe it was the third, I can't remember if it was the third or fourth, but when Eric came to him, uh, Eric Nixick came to Sean in the corner and said, I didn't like that round at all. That was exactly how I felt watching the round too, because you know, he's capable of stepping on the gas, 
But on the flip side, Drikas did do a phenomenal job of making it really difficult for Sean to do that because Sean fights best off the front foot and Drikas did just enough to consistently keep him. Wasn't like he was running away on the back foot, but he was, you know, he was kept getting knocked back, you know, in these small increments. And then of course he would come forward. It wasn't a nonstop thing, but it was enough where Sean was not fighting in his rhythm and in his comfort zone, the way that we shot, saw him do against Izzy. And it was just enough to barely get, you know, get the win. And that's, that is how I saw it is I did have Drikas both when I watched it live. And when I went and back and rewatched it, I had Drikas winning, but like by the narrowest of margins, smallest of margins. And I, if people who are scoring it for Sean, absolutely. That's a correct score scorecard. I remember covering the only time I've ever been to Las Vegas for a guy who's been covering the sport for so long. I've only been to Las serious? Vegas once, one time. And it was for <laughs> UFC 276. And Drinkus Duplessis fought on that card against Brad Tavares, yeah. who oddly enough was coached by Eric Nixick. And I remember asking him about it because he is just such a chaos guy. Like everything yeah. he does is a thousand miles an hour. And Brad Tavares had put his chin on display like never before because Drinkus yeah. was hammering that dude the entire fight. And I was just like, where does like, all this chaos come from. And he was almost like offended by the question because yeah. like, he's like, no, no, no. Like there's, there, there's technique to this. And I'm like, I'm not saying you're not technical, but like you just, you come out like a thousand miles an hour. And he's just a bull to, in a China shop. Exactly. But yeah. to see him on Saturday fight the way that he did, yeah. it was, it, and it, I brought up Volkanovsky earlier. It was, there was some Volkanovsky isms to it where mm -hmm. the in-fight adjustments were so fascinating to watch because round one, he couldn't touch Sean. Yep. Sean was just jabbing away. He could and not he touch got, him. He figured yeah. out the range bit by bit by yeah. bit. And then by round three, then, he had him. By yeah. round three, he had him. He did. And then Sean made his own adjustment in the fifth round and started really, you know, I mean, he let his technique, I don't want to say fall apart a little bit, but in a good way. He started, you know, curving, curving his punches a little bit more and not just focusing on that beautiful one, two that he has, um, but really just throwing down. And that's where he was able to pull ahead. So, I, you know, you always think, what if there'd been a sixth round or a seventh round? You know, who would, who would win then? But it was fascinating to see both of them make some really intelligent um, adjustments. And I thought there were a few times where uh, Sean checked some of the kicks of Drikas. And it's such a little thing, but so few, because we saw how it affected Neil Magny earlier in the night. Obviously, he got the win. But, like, early in that fight, the kicks of Mike Wallot were really affecting Neil. And that's something that he's dealt with in the past. And it seems such a simple thing, like just learn how to check a kick, right? You can see how difficult it is. That is a that is a skill. That is a very specific, difficult skill to be really good at. And Sean is incredible at it. I mean, I was I was really really impressed by that. There were there were so many things that Sean did well as he always does. That Sean did better than usual. It was just a lack of. You can't even say it was a lack of volume because it wasn't a lack of volume. It was a lack of oomph on the majority of his shots that just, again, allowed uh, DDP to, to pull away just by the narrowest of margins. We did our post-fight show at like, I think 4.30 in the morning because <laughs> the main the main card took, for, it was just a really long card. Uh, I think it was the longest watch party we had ever done. <gasps> and we were trying to figure out like what the biggest takeaway of the main event was. And we were having a really hard time putting our fingers on it. Yeah. And we eventually kind of got to different places. But my colleague Jed Bashu goes just said, you know what? I think 
biggest takeaway I have is just punch people really, really hard and you'll, you'll win. Yes. And that's what Drickus did. Like he just yeah. punched really, really hard. And while Sean was peppered him and was very successful, it seems like that was the biggest difference, especially for like those super close rounds. Like yeah. Drickus just punched harder. <laughs> it's simple as weird and as simple as that sounds. And that is in keeping with the criteria and how judges are taught to interpret the criteria. And that's what people need to keep in mind is that there is an inherent bias to bigger punches in the scoring criteria. And, you know, whenever I'm judging a fight and this is kind of how I was, I was taught to judge a fight and it makes a lot of sense to me. It's almost like you have, I, I imagine like a volume knob or, or a power meter and to one side is one fighter and to one, the other side is the other fighter. And if fighter A lands a really big shot, that, that knob goes, you know, it goes pretty far over. And if the other fighter lands a few, it might click back a little bit toward the middle, but you may never even get back to, you know, zero. In other words, it takes a good amount of accumulative damage to compensate for a strong amount of immediate damage. Immediate is always more important than cumulative. And I think, you know, we talk about this all the time, but when they throw up the stats of significant strikes, it throws everybody off because I'll say it time and time again, they are not actually significant in the in the way that we think of the word significant. It's just a word that they attach to it because every single distant strike is considered significant. So even if you hit the lightest jab, if it's at distance, it is a significant strike. So when you see someone leading significantly in strikes, which actually I don't think there was ever a an insane margin where Sean outstruck. He did outstrike him, but it was never like wildly different. Those numbers, like people want to grab onto that and say, see, he won because he hit him more. And that's just not how it works. But I can understand why it is incredibly confusing and why people think that. 100%. And I obviously when Sean, especially this past week for whether you like the reasons mm -hmm. or not, Sean was introduced to a new audience. Yeah. And... It, I saw somebody say this it was like we we're introduced to our to our little friend Sean. Like the world was introduced to to our little friend Sean Strickland. Like that we've <laughs> known that I, I forget who said it, but I heard it. I laughed hysterically when yeah. I saw it. And a lot of newer fans like are watching the sport for the first time or just watching it for mm. like the last three months. So I always tell them, like, if you want to understand the the scoring criteria when it comes to striking battles, there's two fights that I would guide you to immediately. And they're and they both involve the same guy who lost both of them, Rob Font versus Marlon Vera, Rob Font versus Jose Aldo. Those yeah. are the two, because if you look at the stat, the, the significant strike totals, Rob triples them both up. Those are great but examples. loses. And that's why people need to understand like how important knockdowns are. Knockdowns are in many ways, they are king because quite frankly, you know, if you try to make the equivalent in the grappling area, the closest thing you can get is a close submission that doesn't, you know, you don't end up fighting and ending the fight, but it's close. Well, who defines close? Like knockdown is visible. We can all pretty much agree for the most part when we see a knockdown that that just happened or someone gets very, very wobbled. Close submission is, is I think, much more difficult uh, to, to judge. So in my mind, you know, fighters who can should put emphasis on finding uh, the big shots, which makes someone with Sean's style, he, he is to a degree inherently at a disadvantage. Now he has a lot of advantages because his technique is so good and because his defense is so good, but defense doesn't score you any points. In fact, I had a, a really, <laughs> I went down in the weeds um, on 
this particular area because it's different in the global rule set. Some amount of defense does score um, when you're fighting like one FC and the other other promotions that use a different rule set. But I remember thinking, what about checking kicks? Like if when you check a kick and the other fighter visibly is affected by your check because it's almost like your defense become becomes its own offense. You hurt the other guy it, through your defensive action. Does that score? So like I started, I was sending off texts and emails like, what about this guys? What about this? What about this? <laughs> <laughs> what That's if a this great happened? Point, what though. would happen then? <laughs> That's a great point about checking kicks though. Yeah. Cause I mean, that, that is damaging to the, it is. to the offensive fighter, which is, yep. I mean, Strickland did such a good job. That's why DDP was kind of limping around afterwards because mm -hmm. Strickland was checking those kicks. I scored the exact same way you did. Uh, we were doing the watch party, so obviously there's a million things going on, but 48-47 DDP, I gave Strickland one and five. Yep. Uh, DDP two, three, and four. A lot, the the response to this one compared to most has been incredible, Laura, because yeah. a lot of people feel like not only did Sean Strickland win that fight, but people feel like he was outright, outright robbed on Saturday night. Like the amount of people who have just dumped on me for scoring this fight 48, 47 for, for DDP. I mean, they're just out for blood. Like they're well, just they're like, Oh, you're an idiot. They're looking at, they're looking at visible damage. So like that meme that's going around, you know, of Drikas, cause he does, he looks super banged up. He was super banged up. Not even that he looks at, he was, he was super banged up, but that's a whole other discussion of like how you judge visible damage when you judge it when you don't judge it and how the accumulation of a thousand paper cuts can look worse than one shot that didn't cut or cause swelling but may have knocked someone down which i realized didn't happen this in this fight but just as an example visible damage is not the most important version of damage and that word quite honestly it's almost like we need a less limited vocabulary to describe what the word damage describes because it really is so many things um, that we're trying to articulate happening um, to someone's body upon receiving a strike. You can get real nerdy with it, but which I enjoy doing. Yes, I could tell. I could have this conversation <laughs> with you forever. What was interesting about the fight, and you, and you go back to like the, the quote unquote damage and the aesthetics of the fight because mm. the Strickland rounds were super clear. Like one in five, no yeah. doubt about it, it's Sean. DDP, Round four, clear round, no doubt about it. Two and three were very, very close. They were. Yep. And DDP, like you said, he was getting lumped up early and often. And then Strickland gets a cut that bleeds a lot. Uh -huh. And Chris Curtis is on the MA hour today as we record this. And he was like, I thought Sean won. He goes, here's the problem with aesthetics and damage. Sean got cut up in one round. Like, and it looked mm -hmm. bad. And then they cleaned it up. And then like one shot and he is wearing the crimson mask because yeah. the cut just released. And he basically said, you can't, you can't score damage that happened in round two in round three. Like if mm -hmm. a cut just reopens that was do it, done in round two, like you can't add that over to round three. Exactly. So it could I just thought it was a really from, interesting From point. like rubbing up against someone's shoulder in a clinch situation. It, it could, it could even be that, that extra bleeding can happen, not even from a strike. So it is really important, but I mean, he's absolutely right, but I guess I, even knowing that I still scored it just barely for DDP. And it, to me, again, it came down to when Drakus would hit him, whether it was some of the body kicks, um, some of the, maybe one or two of the head kicks, nothing like major. Again, no one got knocked down, right? That's make, that makes it easy to score. Um, but every time Drakus would connect, there was like, you could see Sean, 
physically sort of moved back a bit. There was impact. There was a density to his strikes that you just don't get when Sean was hitting him. And part of it is Drickus has this different style of defense. You know, Sean will lean out of the way and he still might eat, you know, 10% of the shot. Um, DDP, on the other hand, will really shell up and sort of sit down and not be moved by the strike. And I think sometimes when you see a guy get hit and he gets knocked back, even the slightest amount in your mind, you're like, oh, that was that was an effective shot. And it was. So I think that that had um, a role to play more so than the visible damage, because Chris is right. You cannot you cannot carry visible damage into later rounds. <clears throat> it only pertains to the round in which it occurred and really should only pertain to the strike that caused it, um, if you can identify it as such. But Sean said it was a headbutt, and I- I, I, I still I was, can't find it, if I'm being I honest. I can't either. I, yeah. I can't either. And so, I love Sean. Like, I I, I didn't have a, a horse in this race. I really like both guys. But th- I'll be honest, there was definitely a part of my heart, just because I felt really tied to the moment when he won it um, off of Izzy. I think there's something about an underdog- define the odds that we all love especially when you this sport you know like it just it just makes you so happy so there was definitely part of me that was like cheering for him to get this victory so it's not like I you know I'm not saying he lost because I don't like him right you know I don't like what he says I love Sean I love every bit of Sean bring him on I and I I'm excited that he's the type of fighter that I don't think that this will affect his psyche whatsoever and we're going to see more and more of him so yeah The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down, and new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more 
and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I actually, because he lost the fight and he lost the, the belt on two of the cards, and but he's winning in the court of public opinion. And yeah, I and feel life. life. Yeah. I feel like he loses very little here. Do you Not, agree? Yeah. Like nothing. I, I feel like here's what we're going to do, Laura. I know everyone's talking about DDP and Izzy at 300 and 1000% of, if DDP can turn around and do make that fight 1 million percent, that's the fight to make. <laughs> it should also be on that card. If we could swing in is Sean Strickland versus Hamza Shemaev, number one contender fight. That Ooh. fight fascinates me so much. That's what we do. Like, that's what we do. Sean is so close. Like, just needs one win. If he goes out there, it's even competitive with Hamzat Shemaev and yeah. is available when the champion is ready to defend his belt. He's right back in there. It's incredible yeah. how it was very Nate diaz Like, he loses the fight but still wins in a lot of yeah. respect. That's a very good parallel, and I could see the rest of his career being like that, where, it, or, or sort of Jorge-esque. Like, there are these guys who transcend wins and losses, they are must-see TV regardless. You could be on a losing streak and you would still want to, she- want to see Sean Strickland fight. To me, that is almost a bigger win in the grandest of scales in the, in the entire arc of your career. To me, that's almost a bigger win than being um, holding a belt for, you know, who knows how long DDP is going to have it. Maybe it'll be a long time, but maybe it could be a few months, right? That's possible. So who really comes out on top in that scenario? Sean Strickland is winning in life and I'm, I'm happy for it. I'm here to see it. And uh, it, what you were saying earlier was funny because it's like, it was funny watching this whole new group of people that had never really been exposed to him before just being like very pearl clutchy. I understand why I'm not, you know, I'm not making fun of that. But it, what was amusing to me was like, I felt like more than ever, probably more than usual, a bigger proportion of MMA fans were defending him than would if it was just with kept within its own circle. Like, like, you know, like when someone makes fun of your sibling, I mean, you make fun of your sibling, but when someone else makes fun of your sibling, like, no, 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 I can make fun of my brother. You can't make fun of my brother. Like Sean's our nut job, right? You can't, you can't, you can't denigrate our nut job. We might denigrate it, but like you, you lay off, like he's ours. (laughs) I love that. It's just, like you run down how people feel about Strickland, like he must see TV. And, and I think back to UFC 276, because that's when people really got to see it. He was on a pay-per-view card. He stole the show, stole the yeah. headlines. And then he becomes a meme because Alex Pereira just hustles him yeah. and brutally knocks him out. And it's still a story that like, when I talk to Eric Dixick about that fight, like we just can't help but laugh. Cause he tells me like, this is what we wanted Sean to do. And he just goes, no, nah, I'm not doing any of that. Yeah, and he, didn't. he gets memed. And then yeah fans begin to groan that he's headlining at the apex against Jared Karen. Like, Oh no, another Sean yep. Strickland main event, ripping the fact that the guy to replace Nasser to fight Nasruddin Imovov. Oh, here comes Sean Strickland. Oh, mm-hmm. we're going to get another Sean Strickland fight. Oh, July 1st, right before international fight week, we get an apex main event. Oh, it's Sean Strickland versus Davis. Made up. No one wants to watch Sean Strickland fight goes out and gets finished. And then the man rolls into Sydney, Australia, yep. and he gets over He's the best press conferencer of the modern era because yeah. he doesn't talk to the media. He talks to the people and the people respond to him. Hey, Sean, what did you have for lunch today? Let me tell you all something yeah. on Saturday night. I'm going to go in there for you <laughs> MFers and we're going to go to war and it's going to be bloody. Like you could yeah. ask Sean anything and he's just yeah. going to look at all the people and talk to them. Yeah. And then he wins the belt and you're on the call for it. He knocks Izzy down. It was like a, this, 
he's Mr. Canada. He's freaking Mr. Canada out of nowhere. Like, what has this been like for you to watch? Like from UFC 277, UFC 276 becoming a meme to the the guy everyone groans about is fighting at the apex at a main event. to now he's, he's the dude, he's the dude. He's like the top five guy right now. I, I got on the Sean train a lot earlier than people, than a lot of other people did because it was his comeback fight. Um, And I don't remember who it was, but when after his super long layoff, after the whole motorcycle accident, the the knee, like his knee is still crazy looking. I was back, that was back when I was still a reporter and I had to do a report on him. So I was like researching his whole experience really heavily. And then I got to interview him after we, after uh, he won. And I remember like, you know, the, the ESPN interviews tend to be, you know, a little bit more formal and it's always like, you have to hit exactly two minutes. It's kind of a difficult way to do an interview, honestly. But I remember at the interview, at the end of the interview, when I went to kick it back to the desk, I was like, Sean, you are just, you are an absolute psychopath in the best way possible. <laughs> like, I don't think anybody had like articulated that to him before. And he's like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and when we were off camera, we were off camera. He's like, he's like, you get me, you get me. And I was like, I do, I think I get you. Like, and it, we kind of struck up a bit of a friendship from that moment on. So it's been on a personal level, really cool to see this whole journey. And like you said, it hasn't just been up. Like there was the 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 knockout from Pereira where people, like you say, were just like, this guy didn't belong in there. He's nothing. But what I love about that is that he then sought Pereira out. That to me, I love it when guys do that. The ego check necessary to go to the guy who memed you and say, teach me how you did this, make me better. That that's a real fighter. And now they almost have like this, this friendship, this brotherhood that they've built up together that I I'm, I'm here for that as well. I love it. DDP is he at 300. Like this is it. it right? Like there's, yeah. there's no other way to do it. Like I love Holloway Gaethje yeah. and you want to make that the main event. That's, that's pretty cool. But add that as a co-main event for 300 with DDP and Izzy, like would Izzy chasing DDP now? Like you could not write this story any better. You couldn't, you couldn't. And I think that that, um, that to me is the fight. I know keep people keep bringing up Shamayev versus DDP to me. I think, I think it needs to be Izzy that at least personally, that's the one that I'm most interested in seeing for, you know, so many different reasons. And I think I'm even more excited to see it watching how he approached Robert Whitaker, watching how he approached Sean Strickland. Um, it is a more fascinating te- technical matchup uh, now than it would have been a year ago. I completely agree. Before the main event happened and all the quote-unquote controversy, uh, we have a new women's Vantamweight champion. Yeah. Her name is Raquel Rocky Pennington, and she's been at this for a long time, well over a decade, just clawing away. She fought for the belt before and did not go very well for her. Mm-hmm. Amanda Nunes did what Amanda Nunes had done to many women in that division for a long period of time. And she scratches and claws and goes on a win streak. People doubting her left and right heading into this fight with Myra Bueno Silva, who's coming off that win over Holly Holm. And Rocky Pennington goes out and dominates four rounds to one on every single scorecard. And she is the new women's bantamweight champion. Pretty damn cool story, right? It really is. I'm in, I am incredibly happy for her. And, you know, there's something uh, special to me personally when women of this MMA era, uh, go on and achieve their goals because, you know, she's been at this a very long time, a very, very long time. And I'm talking like pre, 
UFC watching Raquel Pennington fight and scrape. And, you know, I go back to this a lot, but she, she is included in the, uh, the generation of female fighters who they only got into this sport for the love of the sport. You know, there really was no, you know, there really was no destination when they started there, there ended up being a destination, but those are the women who got into MMA for just for the pure love of competition and testing themselves and what the sport did for, you know, for their soul. So there's something about that generation that will always make me really, really happy and touched to see them succeed. Um, yeah, I, listen, it's not a fight I'm going to go back and watch again, <laughs> but you can't take away um, that Rocky fought a good fight and she she did her thing. She does what she does. And she shut down the game of a very dangerous finisher in Myra Bueno Silva. And I do think that <clears throat> I think Myra Bueno Silva will be back and, and way better for this. I'll say that because she, there's no doubt she's got a tremendous skill set. She's got a tremendous fi finishing ability, but it was clear as day that she, those, those championship rounds were brand new to her. And the, uh, I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was lack of preparation, but obviously the cardio let her down quite a bit. And when your cardio goes, you can't make the decisions that you would make otherwise. So, um, yeah, new champ and new era. And I don't know if you saw, but on the ESPN post show, the interview with Amanda Nunes, did you happen to see that? I, did. I felt oh, like geez. she was dropping some heavy hints. <laughs> I, Am I wishful thinking? She's like, you never know. You never know. I mean, it, I, it's so hard to say because like she's not going to fight Raquel, but like if if Raquel and Julia Pe Juliana Pena fight, and Juliana's the champion, can't you see Amanda going mm, maybe one more time? Maybe, but she could have done that anyway. I know, but she was tired. She was like, I think yeah. these fighters Izzy's the same way. Like you just you're so sick of Beacon Camp. You're so sick, and you just need a break. And there's no way to take a break other than to retire and then come back. Like that we don't. Because when people take breaks and they're not retired, we say that they're running away from fights, which isn't necessarily Sorry, fair, right? It's there should be a pause crazy. button. <laughs> I love that idea. Uh, here's where this division could go. And I think it's going to be fascinating <clears throat> either way. One, I can't believe I'm saying fascinating, but I really truly believe this. One is Amanda's just going to come back and fight. And yeah. she's just going to run again. And she's one of those fighters, kind of like Demetrius Johnson when he left the UFC. And kind of even like to some degree, Daniel Cormier when he left, like, you're going to miss, like, you're going to love her more and wish her she was around when she's gone more than yes. she was here. And you're going to kick yourself for not giving her the love and respect that appreciating her while she was here. The other thing is, I think because of everything going on at 125 right now, we don't know what's going on with Lex Grasso. Right. We don't know what's going on with Valentina Shevchenko. We don't know if they're going to fight. We don't know what's going to happen with Aaron Blanchfield and Manny Fiora when they fight. Yeah. I could see a very real world right now that if the UFC, and I don't think they're going to do this, but there's a chance they do. Dana wants to go to the Spear for this Doche UFC card. Yep. There is a real world where we save a Grasso Shevchenko trilogy for that card. That's a long wait for the queue at 125. Yeah. If you're someone, if you're one of those 125 fighters, like if you're Aaron Blanchfield right now and you just run over Man and Fioro in Atlantic City. Oh, yeah. If I'm her, I'm really giving some thought to going up to 135 because she would literally only need one fight. And she gets a title shot. If Macy Barber goes in there and beats Caitlin Chukagan, she could go to 135. Juliana Pena is already making memes of her. She probably walks right into a title shot. So I think we could see a lot of these 25ers who are really competitive but have really long roads just say, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go up to 35 where the queue is much shorter. 
Well, and and Valentina. I mean, and Valentina could just go up right now and fight for the belt. Right? Like the opportunity to be um the second female double champ, that's that's tantalizing. I would want to do that too. I would absolutely take one look at this and go, <laughs> yeah. I, I will fight at Bantamweight again. Absolutely. I wouldn't I wouldn't be one bit surprised to see Valentina uh, go up. And I wouldn't blame her. Yeah, just be like, Alexa, we had two good fights. I yeah. thought I'd be the second time. I'm good. You yeah. can run this division. I'm gonna go up here. I'm gonna go yeah. up here and I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run this for a little while, or at least try yeah. anyways. But see, I mean we could we could have some fun with this division. Melissa Dixon, I think, is gonna be a really fun addition moving up the ranks because she is just a killer out there, but she's a little green. So she's going to need some reps. I don't want to see her just get thrown into a title fight, like two or three fights into her UFC career. But yeah, we got a champion, but we got to build this thing up. This thing. Needs, I know. Uh... I'm hoping we get some bantamweights on this, this season of contender series. We didn't have a lot of women uh, season seven. So hopefully season eight, we can get a few more females, yeah. maybe in the bantamweight division. Throw them Bless. in the mix. Couple last things. Uh, you mentioned Jazz and Jazz. You mentioned the 10 seven round. Yeah. Uh, Jazz and Jazz Devizius. Talk about that. I, I know. You, you were happy with the 10 7. I thought we were going to get at least two, maybe. I'm stunned yeah. we only got one. I mean, this was about a, as vicious of a beatdown as I've seen since Cachoeira probably got viciously beat down by Valentina Shevchenko when she made her UFC debut. Yeah. So uh, the 10 7 round, uh, some people were kind of like, what's the difference here? Explain. Yeah. Why, so why are you so 10, happy about it? Yeah, the 10 7 round, I'm happy about it for a number of reasons. I'm happy about it because mainly because it takes um, a lot of chutzpah to put that down on a scorecard because it's so rare. And anytime you do something that is, could be seen as controversial, these judges get absolutely, you know, lambasted on, on Twitter, on X. I got to keep calling it X. Um, so it, it, it takes, it takes some gall to, you know, this is what I saw. This is what I'm going to put down. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that he put Sal D'Amato put it on there. And I do think that at least one of those rounds, and I can't remember which one it was because they all kind of blur together in, into one horrific <laughs> dismantling. But I'm one too. of those rounds, and I think it was the one that Sal scored. Uh, I agreed with him. And how I was taught was uh, you go from a 10-8 to a 10-7 when this happens. So like a 10-8, when you're like, oh gosh, this is definitely a 10-8. There's no question. Okay, how when do you start opening the door to a 10-7? And I was taught, if you start in your mind going, oh my gosh, stop the fight. Oh, oh my gosh, stop, stop the fight, stop the fight, stop the fight. And maybe there's a little bit of reprieve in that. And then maybe a few moments later, it's like, oh my gosh, stop. You could stop this fight. Stop the fight. Stop the fight. Stop the fight. And then like, oh, but somehow something, someone moves. My rule of thumb, if that happens three times, that's a 10-7. Like, there you go. Write and that there was down. a lot, there was a lot of me going, stop the fight, stop the fight. <laughs> In that particular one, that was, that was rough. But good for Jasmine, Jazz Davizius, because golly, the whole situation leading up to it and you know, not the first time Kashware has done that or other kind of not so great things. So, um, and I really like Jasmine Jazavicius. She, uh, she's not been fighting that long, which is exciting to me because considering she, that she's not even been doing MMA all that long, look where she is. And I think she has a very high ceiling. She is, she's a natural, like she yeah. needs, that should be her nickname. Like her telling yeah. me her origin story. Yeah. You know, I'm dating a guy and we, yeah. she went out to do a seminar and he was just like, yo, you want to hit pads? Okay. And then she okay. starts hitting pads and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to hit some pads some more? And then she's crazy. Fire. It's nuts. 
it's nuts. I interviewed her before her first pro fight and she was telling me that story. I'm like, what? Yeah. And now you're just a fighter. She's like, yeah, I love it. Yeah. She's an absolute savage. And it was, help me remember the timeline. Cause I remember when she came on contender series, I want to say she'd only been fighting for like a year or two. Yeah. She Not had like, she had some Amy fights. I remember she had a fight in new England, like one of her early pro fights. Cause she couldn't get fights in Canada. So yeah. I think 289 was like one of the first times she had ever fought in Canada. Yeah. As a pro. Cause yeah. she couldn't get them. No, it's wild to see that she's this uh, young in her career and already doing so well. So excited to see what else she can grow into. Yeah. She called out Casey O'Neill after the event, I believe. I That's a like good that call fight. out. Yeah. It's a good fight. I like yeah. that one. Last thing. We have a lot of fights in the books coming up. Uh, 298, we got Volkanovski versus Taporia. God, I cannot wait for that fight. Uh, we got Sean O'Malley, Cheeto Vera, 300s coming up. And that's yep. going to be interesting as well. One fight on the books right now that you're like, oh, I can't wait to get there. I know there's it a million is, to choose from, but what's the one? It is Volk Taporia. I mean, that that is, I mean, anytime Alexander Volkanovski fights, especially, I mean, I loved his fights uh, against Islam at lightweight, but like, there's definitely part of me. It's like, okay, we've seen that we close that chapter for now. We feel good about it. You know, it, what happened happened. Let's go back to just being great, right? Let's just go back to doing what you do and reminding people how you are the goat of this division. And um, on the on the list of all-time goats, I think, which I guess there's no such thing as a list of goats, but there is in my mind. Um, no, I just, I think that's a tremendous fight. I think Ilya Topuria is... Uh, he might really su surprise some people. And I think the the psychology of Alexander Volkanovsky is going to be fascinating to me coming into this one, coming off um, a bad knockout, coming off a season of, of not winning and, and not, uh, not feeling the way inside of himself that he's yes, not, you know, necessarily used to feeling. So I'm always interested when fighters just kind of like Izzy, when he went up to two Oh five. And then when he came back, um, I'm always fascinated to see how guys handle that. But I, I'm telling you, if, if anybody will come back and look even better than he did before, it's going to be Volkanovsky. But, uh, man, Topuria, super, super, super dangerous. He is the right guy to be challenging for the title at this point and I think poses a lot of really interesting problems. So that's the one I'm looking forward to. Oh, it's such a good fight. It and, is. You know, champions staying in their divisions and defending titles against fighters yep. in their division. The next man up, the next woman up. This is the world I want to live in, Laura. I don't want the champ versus champ fights. <laughs> I want long running championship runs if we can get them. That's what's yep. more impressive to me. So uh, thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Tremendous insight. Hopefully that answers a lot of questions for all the robbery gate going on with this main event, which again, if you haven't gone back and watched it, I highly recommend you do that. It's really compelling. Watch the second time around, but Laura, thank you so much. Thank Excited you, Mike. To see Appreciate you back it. On television. Excited to see you back uh, doing some color work. Hopefully that happens sooner yep. rather than later. February 3rd. Coming Let's up next. go. Yeah. Let's go. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.